Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and hackery experts. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 342. And this week we have guests from the Anon XOR group, Hyron. Hey. So Hyron is a mathematician, computer scientist, and and not XOR employee of the month, working on badges and things hackery. <laughs> and Hyron, I think this is your sixth episode. Do you count Star Wars podcasts? So oh. Then it's like eight. Yeah, that is like yeah, because you've been on. <laughs> you've like been on two, two of right? those now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you've been. I think you are the in the lead. Oh, told, easily. Told you, I'm, I'm, I'm like the guy when you know you need someone from the LA Zoo to show up and bring silly things. <laughs> oh, happen. like on, on, like Good Morning America Tonight Show, whatever. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, filler. Oh, we're gonna. Our, we're, our, our guest didn't show up. We have to go call Hyron and get him to bring a <laughs> snake. <laughs> Hyron, what have you been hacking? Get on. <laughs> I'm like, eh, I hacked a snake. I put a battery in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's actually not far off what you've been doing. Oh, because oh, I was talking about CircuitPython and MicroPython. Oh, highbrow. Oh, highbrow right segue. there. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so last week you were talking all about Snacky. Our, our our wonderful vending companion brought to DEFCON. Yeah, our AI-controlled vending machine. <laughs> and I guess I'm here to talk about the things that were inside of Snacky. We, yeah, we, I, had, we had a yeah. whole episode about the things that delivers the point of why you guys were there. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about all the rest of the stuff. So that's the fun part. Um for those who don't know, I mean, we've been on here, you know, bantering about badges and doing artistic PCB design and blinkies and hacking challenges. And this year we did something really, really different compared to what we normally do, um, which in a nutshell was we took an off the shelf device, hacked its firmware, ported MicroPython to it. That way you could control any of the peripherals and we wrote our own app stack, an app framework to make like quick hacker tools so people can make their own watch faces, have TV be guns, different Bluetooth interrogators. Um, but that's different from what we normally do. And uh, it was almost like a two-year process getting there with all the supply chain delays and whatnot. Uh, if people want to look it up, by the way, um, if you look up the LilyGo T-Watch 2020 version 3, that is the base that we that we ended up with. Um, yeah, we can probably share that in Twitch or something. Um, so you want to hear a story, kids? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, I was joking like maybe DEF CON 28 and a half. Like just, we usually start working on a project uh, on the next year's project about April or May before DefCon. So yeah, ish. Well, yeah, mainly so we can prototype some stuff like at DefCon for the next year. Yeah, like we usually people don't know. We usually like bring our prototypes and our radios and stuff because we want to see how it's going to work with 
the toxic RF environment, how everything's going on. Um, so, so in other words, you're already working on next year's. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we started a couple months ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, yeah, we, we wanted to build a watch. And so we started out with, Hey, let's build a watch. We, we know how to build circuit boards and everything that would go into a smartwatch. Um, and I hate being this broken record about like COVID screws up supply chain, screws up prices of things and supplies of things and quantities of things. And um, without beating that horse to death, we started getting to the point where we could get the parts that we wanted, but the manufacturers would either double the price or double the minimum quantity to get the price we wanted, which out of your wallet is the exact same thing where it's like, Oh, buy a reel of a thousand. You're like, I only need 500 socks. And they're like, okay, then pay twice as much. And you're like, Mm, yep. and, and so we started going down this rabbit hole of them. Like, this isn't going to be affordable. There's no way we can do this even with like sponsorship or whatever. Cause you can find cheap watches, but if you're only building like five or 600 of them, yeah, it really increases the cost on that manufacturing scale. Um, so then we started looking at, okay, what are hackable watches or off the shelf watches? You know, you go on, um, Taobao, <laughs> go on AliExpress. Um, and for a while we were going to go with the pine watch and we ran into the similar issue with the pine watch where we actually, um, this was for DEFCON 29 as well. Yeah. So last year. And we had, uh, on the pine watch, we had a full custom bootloader written. Uh, I think it was actually running. Z no, we ported Zephyr OS to it and it we Zephyr OS. Yeah. yeah. And so it was running Zephyr OS. We had our all app stack and everything. And we go to buy the production run and it's like, Hey, that's great. Uh, we won't get them to you until December or January. And we're like, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like four months after DEFCON. <laughs> yeah, and so we're like, oh, that's... And this is like six months before DEFCON. Yeah. So it's like early early last year. February. But yeah, yeah, like f it's February. We need 500, 600 things by, Mar by you know, July-ish and wouldn't happen. Um, and that's why we did the analog soldering challenge, which actually I thought was really, really fun. And uh, a lot of people enjoyed that. Um, That's actually my favorite one. Probably because I work, yeah. I got to work a lot on that project. Um, so I like that one a lot. I also really like the cipher that we did on it. Oh, the the crazy Damon cipher. Yeah, <laughs> the CDC, the crazy Damon cipher. So, so yeah, going through all that, it's like okay, had to hit the pause button. Let's do a different badge. We come back to the watch. Um, and we start talking with different manufacturers and we're getting the same story except from Lilygo. Um, and Lilygo watches, they're Arduino compatible. They have software. It's kind of buggy, um, but it's meant for people to at least flash Arduino on there. So we knew we didn't have to like hack the bootloader to unlock it. Um, and Zach worked his ass off and based on the ESP32 processor and what already exists for MicroPython for that, ported it, wrote custom drivers, bundled in the drivers, made our own firmware and bootloader for it. So that way that watch can actually natively run MicroPython. Um, and there were a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one of them, we, we had considered MicroPython for a while. 
Uh, we even talked to some of the developers at Hackaday Supercon, and they were wondering, you know, hey, you guys are always doing C, everyone does C, um, why not Python? And we're like, well, it's it's a wearable. And at the time, MicroPython and CircuitPython by extension um, had no sleep controls in the stack. So when you're running stuff, it was just maxing out power consumption on the processor. And I'm like, people don't think about it, but badges are wearables. And until MicroPython had something to actually manage sleep, you know, processor sleep and better power management, because most of the time projects are just plugged into a computer or running off a battery bank, but it's like, hey, we're running off double A's or, you know, limited milliamps. <laughs> so the stars kind of aligned. We went through that. Um, it's fun buying stuff through AliExpress when you're like, I can't get the quantity I want. And they tell you, you know, just put in a fake credit card number so it rejects the order and then it sits in limbo and we can edit it and then you can pay it. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've done shady transactions on Taobao and AliExpress just to get the source <laughs> components that you want. Um, but it was really cool. Uh, we, we were able I'm to... I'm surprised they didn't try to kick you to, like, out, out of the system with an email address. I... I wonder if they're cracking down. I wonder if, like, AliExpress is cracking down on that. I think as long as they get their money, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah, we ended up with the LilyGo T-Watch. Um, it's kind of cool. So, eh, we, we swore we'd never go back to Espressif. Um... We still yeah, have I remember you guys kind of uh, speaking negatively about that in one of the yeah. early episodes. What, uh, has, has your thoughts changed on it, or are you still a little bit grumbly about it? I'll that was be, over, by the way, over 200 episodes ago. Oh yeah, my. it was years ago. Yeah. I'll be, it was episode 144. I'll be fair. Um as far as something to hack on and have something to quickly prototype on that's affordable, Espressif is great. If you want to make 500, 600, 1,000 of a thing and not worry that, oh, there's not Rojas solder, there happens to be lead solder, there happens to be differences, there's poor configuration control in there and you know the libraries are and the documentation are community supported. So... If you're not willing to do the work to figure out why it's not working, as opposed to relying on a mature data sheet, that's what you're going to get. Um, I think the only place it really backfired on us, um, the Bluetooth stack in the Espressif core had issues and they just patched it. So some people who were using our Ninja game were like, hey, I'm getting error. Had nothing to do with our code. It had to do with the underlying ESP32 um, radio drivers that are sitting in there that they provide and they had bugs um, is what it is. But yeah, the watch had, oh, you know, it has a touch screen. It can vibrate. It's got Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. It has a mic on there. Um, just about everything you need for it to be a smartwatch. We wish we could have gotten something with GPS, but that allowed us to expose all those peripherals through Python, which if you partake more in, in hacker conferences, like Python's very common to the hacker community. I think it's very common to a lot of communities and it's less, uh, it's more approachable than some people jumping in and saying, 
oh, I have to get a compiler. I have to get a specific tool chain. I have to do all these things. Whereas you're like, hey, just get it, get your favorite text editor and hop in and, and start tweaking stuff and, and it goes. So um, I definitely saw a lot more community mods of the watch and people posting different apps and different watch faces and things. So I was really excited to see people actually taking advantage of the fact that it was MicroPython, um, which that's always fun. <laughs> I can't remember if either of you ever used MicroPython, CircuitPython. You're you're no, just you're just, just full on x86 Python. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked at it. That's the extent. Um, I think the only thing I would share for like the. The, the engineering community, if they're ever considering it, because um, you'll basically see MicroPython and CircuitPython. MicroPython is the base and CircuitPython, Adafruit forks it and does their own stuff to it to really support their boards. Um, it's Python. Most of the libraries that you're used to don't exist. They include common libraries. So you end up having to reinvent the wheel a lot just to keep it going. Um, but functionally, the only main difference you see is like CircuitPython is really tailored for beginners. So to make it stable, um, I guess stable is a bad word, to make it user friendly, uh, CircuitPython really only runs a single state. You can't do multiple states or multiple threads at the same time, whereas MicroPython will let you do that. So we stuck with MicroPython because you can imagine if you're doing a watch, you have a real-time clock, you have multiple radios running, you have multiple apps. I need all those things kind of orchestrated and running together. Whereas if it was CircuitPython, it would be like you swipe the watch face and it's like, this is the only thing going on. I don't care about anything else. And you're so, making like a really rudimentary OS on it. Basically. Yeah. And CircuitPython's great for quickly doing stuff, but it's just simple slices of a single state machine. Whereas with MicroPython, you can, they give you a loaded gun if you want to shoot yourself in the foot, which is <laughs> way more fun. <laughs> on that actually is, because um, before we were running like Zephyr OS, which, uh, which is like a, a real time operating system. How much different is what's running on the watch to that? Um, I'm trying to think of the... So, functionally, I think what people would notice is... I mean, you have core firmware on there, and that firmware is managing the interface to your board and the drivers. So, functionally, that's the same thing. The difference with Zephyr OS is like you would flash a bootloader and then you would compile software and move that compiled software into oh, memory. Um, with CircuitPython, we only had to compile, mm, we only had to compile the bootloader once and put it on there. And we really didn't have to touch firmware more than a couple of times. Um, after that, we were just writing Python and straight shooting it over serial, copying the file over and it runs. Um, now, for speed and efficiency, you can compile Python into like a binary format. And for things that we knew people didn't need to hack or didn't change, we did that. Like for screen buffers and things like that, we were we were compiling those. Um, but given our software tendencies, 
we definitely copied some of like the framework and the architecture that you would use in an RTOS and use that in, in our port of MicroPython. So when people would do their apps, they would notice like, we gave some example apps in there and it would be like, you have to have this function. It has to be named in a certain way. You have to give it a weight because if you can imagine your watch is like an interface, you know, you need to be able to swipe and how am I going to put these things in order? And so each app would have a different weight. So it would sort by the weight, put them in a certain order. Um, you don't want multiple, because there's multiple states running at once, you don't want duplicative class names. So we had to stub out kind of an application framework and um, we start reinventing the wheel of an RTOS, but it's running in CircuitPython. I, I guess it gives you the best of both worlds. It makes it very flexible, but then it's at first look, you know, you're not looking at a single file with a program. We have like 40 files in there, all for different programs and libraries and things. which is fun. So I, m I mentioned compiling. Um, one of the things we really like to do on it that is fun is putting a hacking challenge on there. And um, me, you know, a few of us on the team usually work on that. And usually you can rely on some obfuscation or encryption for our firmware, but you can't do that with Python. Anyone can read it. Um, and so we kind of took that approach of, okay, uh, we always make a text-based adventure game in a way. So we're going to make a game that you absolutely can't beat unless you hack the source code. And then we actually use the MicroPython compiler to compile it just so people could see, yeah, all these articles where people say, oh, you want to protect your intellectual property? You want to protect your secrets? You can just compile your Python. And part of the hacking challenge was decompiling it and inspecting it and seeing where the hidden code was, um, which I at least had two people come to me and say, I didn't know you could do that. And that makes the world to me because then they realized- They oh, learned something. Yeah, and they're like, holy shit, I'm not, they're like, I thought I could just compile Python and leave it on the server. I need to hide that behind an API, behind a web server. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, anyone who tells <laughs> you you can protect your IP or anything um, just by compiling the Python is full of it. Uh, it may take you a couple hours, but you can reverse everything out of that po compiled Python. Um, and that's always fun to show folks. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I didn't want to jump straight to flashing party, but I'm, I'm curious. I'm bantering about software. What do you wonder about the hardware on the watch? What what goes through your mind when you're like watch? <laughs> well, okay, so I have a few questions, and this mm -hmm. and this may come from just pure ignorance in here. I was not involved in this team, so I actually haven't even seen the watch other than what uh, what what Hyron has shown on the on the Oops. video here. Uh, yeah. So 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 here's the thing: when you said you 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 basically developed the bootloader and you 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 migrated circuit python over to it in writing all the drivers what what was involved in doing that how did did you guys have to go down to circuit level and write all the drivers basically from scratch or was there something already there did you work off of some framework what what did all of that entail zaps the driver guru but in general what i can describe of that is you know, for some peripherals, you're going to find existing drivers like on GitHub. 
things mm. that like you can pick up and use and recompile. Um, some of them you're like, I know what this part is. And you're looking up the data sheet and you're just look, you're looking at the data sheet and you're like, this part has this address and it does this thing. Okay. I got to write <laughs> I got to make a header file and write it from scratch and write the, write the functions where it's like to do this, I got to write this. Um, right. So, but even with our badges, it's usually a little bit of both. Um, sometimes people rely on a lot of like Arduino drivers for like NeoPixels and things like that. Mm -hmm. And if you dig into the code, you'll find it works. Sometimes it's not efficient um, or it's not accessing everything that you could access. And so we usually end up in this iterative cycle of give me the data sheet. Let's look at everything that's addressable and everything that's possible. And then going over to the driver and saying, should I just scrap this and write it from scratch? Or mm -hmm. do I just amend it and, and add those things in there? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that really gave us a headache for a while was um, the step counter. The the acceleron the peripheral that handled step counting, it was kind of a little one and all in one unit where it's an accelerometer, a step counter, but you have to initialize it with certain random numbers like seventeen thousand something odd. Um, and then you have to hit it with another few numbers to break it in to let it know, hey, we're gonna start counting steps. <laughs> Mm. And then you just throw, you know, an address pull at it and it lets you know, like, here's where my steps are at. And it taps into the real time clock. So at whatever interval you get it, the clock resets and the steps reset where you, you would think that's being done in software. It's actually being done in a hardware peripheral. Um, but I know there zap had a lot of fun with that one because he was like digging in the data sheet and trying to figure out all these weird things going on with the step yeah, count. The magic numbers is what he was talking about with it. it yeah. You'd look at the driver and it's just like, you just hitting like a bunch of addresses with some, what looks like random numbers to you. Mm -hmm. And then it just works <laughs> like, well, it works, but it was having issues, which is why we couldn't just do a straight port. Like I'm, I'm obviously making this up. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like, hey, you, you want to initialize something. Okay, hit address 3848. And you're like, okay, 384, what do I pass it? 17,006. And you're like, <laughs> why that number? That's what initializes it. And you're like, the hell? Why? Okay, let's try. Oh, shit, it works. Yep. Okay, run with it. <laughs> you don't. You don't need to know what's under the hood. You just need to know. Spit it some numbers, and it goes. Yeah, and, and you know, usually your math brain goes like, "I need to initialize it. Maybe that's a zero or a one, like something that would make sense. Like pass this address a true or a false." And it's like, no, give me seventeen thousand three or something. Just, you just find that there's weird shit like that from time to time, and. Yeah, the drivers won't work. You got to scrap them and reverse engineer it and just figure out what the hell is working. Mm. Yeah, 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 for sure. I've I've certainly run into that before with some chips that are, you know, they have illegal addresses. Those those addresses are not necessarily illegal. They just don't want you writing things there. Their internal calibration points or their their readouts for whatever's happening in production or there's a bunch of other things in there. And so I wouldn't be surprised if if something like that chip it just had registers that could accept a, a wide variety of values, but but they just want you to send that one that they've found does does the job, you know? Yeah. 
So you you definitely find yourself in that balancing game. You're like, oh, cool. I know this processor, but here's all these peripherals and drivers for some things work. Some of them don't. And yeah, you go through that process of, hey, we got the accelerometer working. Hey, Wi-Fi is working. Hey, Bluetooth stack is kind of working. Thanks, Espressive. <laughs> well, and you have all kinds of protocols. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the LilyGo right now. Okay, so there's the TFT. That's going to have its own method of communication. You have I2C, you have I2S. There's the touch board. There, like, you have to write or, write or assimilate drivers for all of this, right? Yes. And just because, I mean, like, yeah, it originally ran Arduino, and people are like, oh, yeah, it works in Arduino. I was like, doesn't mean those drivers exist in MicroPython. So right. for some things, we're like, oh, shit, it exists. Cool, we can use that. Oh, it's not great. Let's modify it. And then other things, it's like, well, blaze some trails. Let's write it and commit it to the world. <laughs> right, right, right. So that, that was our software claim to frame. We're like, we brought MicroPython to the LilyGo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I kind of like that because that's not necessarily the point. That was a necessary evil in a way to get to the end result. It was. Oh my God, I didn't mention this. This was annoying, but at the same time, one of the coolest things ever. We wanted to do custom wristbands and we couldn't. We could not change out the wristbands um, to improve performance of the in, uh, of the radios. That rubber has antenna molded inside of it. No, really? Yeah. yeah. And we just to we we didn't realize at first. We ripped off wristbands. We're like, "What's this metal?" And we start ripping apart the wristband. We're like, "Holy shit!" And then we emailed them like, "Can we do custom wristbands?" They're like, "No. That that's where the <laughs> antenna is." And I was like, smart on you, because sometimes people do the little, you know, antennas etched in PCB on the circuit board and they don't work well. And they just straight up like hid the antenna in the wristband. Um, kind of sucks because you can't change the wristband, but you get way better performance for your Wi-Fi mm -hmm. and, and Bluetooth radios. And it, something I didn't expect, but that was kind of cool to, to learn when we were running into. Ooh. I've been holding off on flashing party, which I don't production designed for drunk hackery production. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So if you think about like, okay, I'm going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of watches. How do I streamline this and, and minimize repetitive tasks? Um, and a few of the things we came up with. Um, so when we were when you would flash the watch um it was really slow in fact it it was due to the hardware bus constraints we could only push at 9600 baud over serial mm. and if you want to copy like 10 12 megabytes worth of files that's a problem um so we we did this hybrid approach where we created an access point matt damon and we would just we would provision the firmware and just push the bare minimum um, micro Python files onto the watch, just enough for it to reboot, have the drivers to turn on the Wi-Fi, and then connect to a Wi-Fi access point because it could download files faster than we could push it over serial. Yeah. 
So we were only flashing four or five files onto the watch, connecting to Wi-Fi and pulling down. And when we thought about scaling that up, um, our provisioning script basically ran in a loop for every device that was TTY, ACM, whatever numbers. And we got 16 port USB hubs and we got like 10 of them and just started plugging them all into every computer port that you had, ran these scripts on loop and we would just plug in a watch, walk away from it. It would automatically, you know, copy files over, then connect to the internet, download the files that it needed. And once it was done, it would change the screen just bright, like stoplight color. And it would be red if it was low battery, yellow, medium, or green if it was a full charge. So it was kind of nice. You could just walk by and you'd see hundreds of watches laying around. But if you see a green one, you're like, cool, you're done. Pull the USB out. It automatically shuts itself down so you don't have to hold the crown down for five seconds to turn it off. But Every second counts, I guess. You got to think if you're doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these, do you want to keep doing a repetitive task? So all we had to or do drink beer that I don't know if I'm pointing at you and Twitch. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like King of the Hill. We're just sitting there going, yep, staring at the watches right. Mm-hmm. That one's green. Boop, Pop in new one. Go kit it up. Um, I don't know. We. Maybe we overthink stuff like that, but I really enjoy like planning out the the solder party, the production flashing party, where it's like, how many things in production can we automate so that we can just eliminate all the stupid tasks and stand there? I would say that's one thing our group is good at is logistics. <laughs> is so we overthink logistics. Same thing that happened to Snacky, right? Mm-hmm. Like the actual logistics of moving Snacky was like the easiest thing. Everything around it was like just shit show, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the actual logistics was like so smooth. Uh, yeah, Mr. we overthink logistics all the way. I think we also just get annoyed by repetitive things and we run into like, oh my God, I wish I would have done something about this. So we start Mm -hmm. dry running the flashing and we're just like, how can I make this as minimally human as possible? Because if you have drunk humans, um, they're just going to mess stuff up. So we, we really dumbed it down to plug in USB. You have three chances to get it right and then pull it off when it's green. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's great. Uh, Parker and I've talked about that multiple times. Like, I think one of the core tenets of being an engineer is figuring out how, like we've said it multiple times, you'll put 10, 15, 20 hours in to save a task that takes 10 minutes. Uh, As long as that task is repetitive and happens on a regular basis. No. And it's, it's helpful. I mean, that's like, what the first time you invited us out to the to the facility in Houston, um, not just for you know people who don't work around electronics in a in a fabrication facility, but like to be able to go there and see like how are you going to build this thing? What's going to happen on the assembly line? I want to understand how it's produced because if I can do something on my end to speed that up or minimize problems or make it easier it's probably going to save me money and make people happier. So might as well. 
Wow. Or CMs just, love you. Oh, or just drink beer with CM. <laughs> well, let's get barbecue and beer and stare at the things coming off the line. Yep. That sounds great, actually. <laughs> if only I can do that every day. You should open a barbecue and beer company. <laughs> and PCB assembly. PCB assembly. <laughs> you get one, one of them down. You, I mean, a reflow oven, you could probably turn into a smoker pretty easily. I mean, if, <laughs> the belt just takes eight hours to get a brisket. Takes eight through. hours for the brisket to go all the way through. <laughs> Monday morning, Parker's at the sea level. He's like, we are underutilizing the reflow oven. Let me talk to you about Santa Maria style tri-tip and reflow. <laughs> <laughs> like our customers would love a tri-tip sandwich with their boards. <laughs> I would. But yeah, I mean, overall, um, I'd say it was something really different we did this year. It was fun. It was really fun to do something different and to like take something off the shelf and just hack its firmware and put something that wasn't intended on the chip, you know, on there. Mm -hmm. Um, It did did enable us to do other things, too. Like we got to do Snacky um, because that was, you know. That's this year was a lot of firsts that we did. No. So we talked about it last week, uh, Parker and I a little bit, but, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the reception of this. How was it received at DEF CON? Were people happy with it? Uh, And what are some of the cool stuff you've seen with it? You know, outside of, I, I know you mentioned like changing face, uh, the faces. Um, of like so overall reception was good. Um, I definitely had a couple of people like, you know, come to me and talk to me about like cogs versus bomb type things where I'm like, well, Hey, we're giving these away for free. So we do sponsorship and we, mm. we have companies and philanthropists, you know, so we can give them away. Um, there was that, um, I know some folks were like, Oh, we expected a blinky badge, you know, something I can wear around my neck. And we're like, sometimes we just want to do something different, you know, mm-hmm. got a, it's, it's for my own educational and artistic reasons where we, we like trying something new, but, um, overall, I think people enjoyed it. Um, one, th- one thing that was concerns up front that they were addressed and it usually happens when people have Wi-Fi on their badges and things. Um, you know, casinos get worried. They don't want people de-authing, you know, killing the Wi-Fi on things, especially around casinos. Um, we did not include apps that did that. Uh, we did not provide any capability to do that. But um, definitely, you know, security freaks out at first thinking, oh, my God, you're giving people a thing where they can hit a button and it kills it. And I'm like, no, it just does TV be gone. Um, then they're like, oh, OK, that's just TVs. We don't care. <laughs> Right. right. Um, but yeah, aside from, I was going to dig into the discord channel. I won't open it up right now. Um, I saw custom watch faces. I saw someone, we, we had a Bluetooth interrogator where it would hit Bluetooth devices and give you salient information about like you could pull battery level, whatever certain characteristics are in the Bluetooth protocol. Um, someone was, working on something where you could actually tap a characteristic and send information back. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, like we, we did that with like the vodka bottles in the past where we would send messages and display them on little led displays that were on things. Um, 
And there was another person working on um, trying to re-implement at CypherCon, the toy makers had IR. Uh, I believe, I'm trying to remember which protocol they were using. Was it not Morse over IR? Someone in Twitch should tell me. Twinkle Twink was there, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, they they tried to replicate that. So on the watch, you could submit the master codes from some of the toy makers' badges because um, they did a vending machine at CypherCon and you go up into hack IR. Um, yeah, and, and display that out of IR. So there was a lot of fun stuff where people were just making different tools out of the peripherals on there. And I got a good reception because they're like, hey, sometimes the biggest challenge, even when you get a badge and we're like, hey, you can hack this badge is let me follow your eight pages of instructions of downloading packages and configuring tool chains and environment variables and, you know, the, the foot pedal that you have to kick and... <laughs> And uh, when you're just giving it to them in MicroPython, it's like, here's the API, go nuts. Like you just need a text editor. And so I think we got really good feedback in, in that respect where it was just easy for people to pick up and go. Especially when compared to uh, previous years. Mm -hmm. Yes, flippers were in abundance at DEF CON. People were more freaked out about our watches and not so much about flippers with expansion boards that automatically de-auth. But mm -hmm. yeah, we got past that. Um, overall, I thought it was fun, though. And uh, I thought we got good reception for the watches. People enjoyed it. Um, it was one of the many things dispensed out of Snacky. I'm... I, Sure, Parker shared, like, yeah, we had many things. We had the badges, we had deodorant, we had candy. I have a lot of leftover candy, so I'm going to be the popular guy at Halloween when I'm handing out movie theater-sized candy to kids. Yeah. All your neighbors will hate you with kids. Yeah. I'm like, here's sugar. Go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be the popular one on the street if you're giving away the big stuff. <laughs> uh if you tell Amazon, hey, uh, these didn't say theater size, I expected not theater size, they give it to you for free because you can't return food. Mm. <laughs> nice. This is your Amazon hack of the day. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, it was it was fun doing that. It was fun learning MicroPython and like talking to folks about hacking MicroPython and doing doing those types of things. As I was joking earlier in the in the pre-podcast, now I'm messing with CircuitPython just to really get comfortable with the differences between Adafruit's implementation of MicroPython and the, and the base of it. Um, it's weird to have a single state machine, but if you're just blinking LEDs, that's where it'll go. I'm trying that's to do. Need. I'm trying to do a respirator mod inspired by my friend Cannibal, where I can have a respirator but have it blinged out and. Um, the Duinos are putting out, uh, they have SAMD 21s, but now they're doing the Raspberry Pi 2040s. Um, I was going to get the RP2040, but it pulls double the amount of power as a SAMD 21. So yeah, they're not, they're not energy efficient. No. SAMD 21 at peak is like 12 milliamps and RP2040 is like, I think it's 24, 24 or 25 milliamps. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. And I would say, um, but, you can buy them, but you can't buy them anymore. They're out of stock everywhere too now. 
Really? Yeah, everyone, for a while, that was like the only microcontroller you could buy. This is like a couple months ago. That's changed. If people have built products with that microcontroller now, and now it's out of stock. You're talking about SAMD21 or the RP2040? RP2040. Ooh. Yep. Yep. And if you want to buy, by the way, how you buy SAMD21s, because those are also out of stock everywhere, you go to Microchip directly and you plead them to put you on the list. Oh, <laughs> boy. Oh. <laughs> Steven just showed uh well those are the actual boards. I'm talking these about the are, actual these chip. are the like the real Raspberry Pi, the official boards. Parker bought yeah. a few and gave me some. Maybe I should turn around and scalp them. <laughs> yeah, scalp oh them. my god. Yeah, when when we were finishing up snacky, I needed an extra pie for the CTF. Um and I should have just borrowed one from one of my friends, but I just needed I need a Raspberry Pi 4. The cheapest I could find was like $200. Oh my God. And I'm looking around. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, Ugh. you can oh, buy a laptop nice. for that much. Yeah. We should have just done that in snacky. We should have just thrown a laptop in there instead of a Raspberry Pi. SD cards <laughs> still suck or put an SSD on the, on the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> I don't think that works. I think it only boots off the SD card. I don't think you can do a USB boot. Oh, I think you can, can't you? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure you can't. Watch someone on Twitch is like, I bet you can. I Googled it before you do. Yeah, you can yeah. boot a Raspberry Pi 4 from an SSD. At least Google says you can. Hmm. How does how's that connected? Uh, USB. <laughs> USB boot? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you plug it into the USB, like USB-C port, or no, that's where power comes from. Hey, you just plug it into USB. I think it's a yeah. ver- version of like UEFI. You just tell it you're going to boot off this. Deal with it. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, USB mass storage, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it does work that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, on the fly, I'm curious. Train of thought. Micro SD to... Uh, SSD NVM adapter. Does that exist? <laughs> it exists. Or, really? Can you actually buy it though? Probably. It's probably like oh, what? 30 no. something dollars on Amazon? It's not what you'd think it is. It is so that you can plug an, a micro SD into a solid state drive port. I'm looking the other mm. way around. I want a little so I want a little micro SD tab that plugs in and it connects a solid state yeah. drive. You have to emulate. You'd have to create a buffer in there, yeah. so that it would emulate. There's the like SD a translator card. that goes in between it, basically. Yeah. And I, I bet you that's slow. Oh yeah, because it's probably expecting a way, <laughs> way different bus speed than is humanly possible right. for SD. Ooh. So DefCon, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Did you have fun? I did. I did. There were stressful moments. I cut my finger open and I got COVID, but I loved every minute of it. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> I, I actually forgot to tell that story. Is uh, Hyron fought Snacky in Snacky One? Mm. Yeah. Uh, if so, you know, you, you got to give Snacky some love and jiggle it a little bit when you're closing it up and turning the T latch and popping the T latch in. And if it isn't settled right when you do that there's a lot of tension or 
force pushing back. So when I unlocked it and pulled the T-lock out, the door just, bam, like popped open like a half inch, but my knuckle was still in front of the T-lock and it just shredded open my knuckle. And it's not one of those things that does permanent damage or hurts, but it's a flesh wound and one that like spurts blood like a sprinkler system nonstop. And there's nothing you can do because it's on your damn knuckle. And um, snacky one, me zero. Yeah. (laughs) And it's so funny is that you were the first one to bleed on snacky because like i built snacky and i didn't cut myself at all but snacky chose me yeah i thought it was really funny like Chiron <laughs> just Chiron's far like freaking out and he's like texting me like i'm bleeding on snacky and i'm just like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing <laughs> actually it was right in the middle of dealing with uh i'll say self-entitled hacker that wanted to like break snacky and oh yeah uh and I'm tiger ha- tank top yeah and then i'm in the middle of like oh my gosh someone ran through with the deauthor again and my the router is fucked and i got to reset the router and i got 30 people around here they're like trying to like reach in i'm like back up let me open the snack machine let me do this bam ah oh, fingers bleeding okay let's reset the router oh guy yelling at me and i'm just like i'm like i had fun um you're just in the in the thick of it, in the middle of a contest yeah. and bleeding and dealing with a personality and going, I need beer. Oh, I'm happy now. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, you're right in the middle of a casino. It's pretty easy to get. Yeah, but no, it's it, it was good to see people again. Like Defcon existed last year in person, but it was very limited. There was maybe 8,000 people, 9,000 around people. that. Yeah. Uh, this year, I think there was 25,000 people. So it was like normal Defcon again, except with masks. Um, and my God, Caesar's forum is huge. Um, so it was really spread out and logistics were done well. You weren't like running into people or crammed like you could. Get- I really like the new Caesars form. Yeah, I like it because all Defcon is in one spot now. And there were still things over at the Flamingo and at at Link. I never went over there. So <laughs> red, yeah, red, red Team Village and Hardware Hacking Village were over at um, at the Flamingo. You're right. You're right. You're right. I think they could have fit them at the forum, but oh, I, yeah. I think it's like the, that, capacity issues. Yeah, because that challenge room was like a third full, if that. <laughs> you know, because that, that challenge room like wrapped around and that whole wraparound area was empty. Right. So they, you could have fit. I think they could have fit more. I bet you you're right. It's probably some kind of COVID like the maximum amount of stuff in certain rooms because most of those rooms were pretty empty. So I think they can fit all of DEFCON in that form. Yeah, I'm I haven't heard it explicitly. I'm just assuming that large events still have a capacity limit. So they're probably like, yes, you have to use more square footage and this is how you're going to do it and whatever. I don't want to ignore chat. I just winked over it at Twitch yeah, people saw. Um, so we intended for those chopsticks to play a silly game of 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 let an offshoot of let it flow, where you're just passing a little plastic baby to someone with chopsticks. People thought the chopsticks were like, oh, you're I'm supposed to make a J hook with tape and stickers, 
and fish hook and make a J hook underneath the, the vending drawer and get badges out. And the first couple of times I was like, I'm impressed. Good on you. That's, that's nifty. Um, but then people just thought it was a physical challenge, double dare, not, they were ignoring the fact that there's a CTF and every solution was giving you a Venn code and you could just, you know, solve hacking challenges to get badges versus duct taping, um, chopsticks to fish hook stuff out. But overall, I loved it. It was fun. It was good being in Vegas. Do we have any things we can release for next year yet? Besides oh. snack, Snacky's coming back. You know, I, I was actually going to ask about that. So, so now that we're at that point, you know, because it, because it, it might be, it might be taboo. Maybe you can't say anything. If you can, can you give us maybe, maybe say even just one word that that is a hint or or some kind of something for next year? Badge. <laughs> okay, so not watched. It, it fits in a vending machine. I, I, okay, I think oh, all of the last no, like eight I'll, years have fit. In I'll say that. No, I mean we're not going to do another watch. The watch was a one-time thing. We really enjoyed that. Um, we're we're gonna do kind of like a traditional badge that we do. Um, pending the world doesn't catch on fire and we go into Again, the dark ages and yeah. there's no, yeah. I mean, if I can't order chips, then yeah, you'll get another soldering challenge. But um, yeah, we're 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 working on a badge, like a, a traditional electronic blingy hangs around your neck badge. Um, I'll say that much. And they okay. will go in snacky, and snacky will be hacky, and that is a method for earning badges. I, and there will be rules written somewhere around snacky. <laughs> there will be rules clearly displayed as to what you are allowed to do. And if it's not explicitly listed, assume it's off limits. I ain't going to play that game with people where they're like, well, you didn't say I couldn't. I'm like, no, here's what you're allowed to do. Everything else. The answer is no, but talk to us and let, if you're curious, <laughs> Yeah, this was an uh, an exploration year, right? You, you mm-hmm. had to try all the new things, then you fix it. Next year will be more grand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're adding it to our Kanban. There's so many story points assigned for what we're going to work on on <laughs> Snacky. We have burn down charts on burn down charts. <laughs> My Gantt chart is getting a little close to DEF CON next year already. <laughs> So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Thank you, Hyron, for coming on to our podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. Take it easy. Cheers. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. And also, our live stream is usually in Tuesday evenings. I think we're actually going to change the time 
to 7 p.m. Central Time instead of 6 p.m. Central Time. Oh, that's not twitch.tv slash macrofab. 